This is an RNZ podcast. Kia ora and welcome to the best of first up for Wednesday the 2nd of June. Call Katrina Batanaho. In today's pod in the Middle East, Benjamin Netanyahu looks like being ousted as Israel's Prime Minister. What Canterbury's weekend rain and flooding means for farmers and our wider economy and the huge clean-up operation is underway as the full extent of the devastating floods becomes apparent. But first, Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his government look set to be replaced as opposition parties work towards a coalition to form a government. Israel has gone to the polls four times since 2019. So who are the players and what does the potential coalition of parties which spans the left, centre and right wings of the political spectrum mean for the country and the region? From Doha, our host Nathan Rarari spoke with Al Jazeera's Kamal Santamaria. You are one of the few journos outside of Israel who we've seen sit down and interview Naftali Bennett, who's um, one of the leaders who would share uh, the prime ministership under this coalition. Tell, tell us about him, who he is, what, what's the cut of his jib? He's an interesting character, shall I say. Um, Yeah, I did an interview with him during the Gaza war recently, and he obviously defended Israel's position and and said all the things I would expect, but he went further. He he talked about how there's no occupation, that the Israelis don't control the Palestinian land and people, Um, basically that they didn't really exist and that actually they were the ones murdering their own people during those 11 days. And um, anyone who's seen that interview will know my facial expressions completely betrayed me because I I couldn't quite believe what I was hearing. And in in the back of my head, I was thinking all the time, oh, this guy could actually be the next prime minister and it'll take Israel even further to the right. You know, we thought Netanyahu was pretty right wing. Uh, He will take Israel even further. So, Kamal, this uh, marriage of parties here, I was looking at it and I thought, one seems quite left, one seems quite right. All I could think of was that frog and the scorpion story, right? What, they believe they're going to they're gonna share this? How will they share it and make it stable? It won't. It won't work. It won't work that way. I, that's my bold prediction. It didn't work. Remember, Prime Minister Netanyahu was in a similar sort of deal with Benny Gantz. Uh, who he was supposed to hand over the uh, the prime ministership to after two years, and that didn't happen. They went to the polls again, as you said, four times in two years. But um, th- this one, it's hard to see it working. And it's interesting, you sort of say left-wing and right-wing. I think in Israel, you know, the left-wing is, it, it's almost non-existent now. It's more like sort of the centre-right and then the right and then the really, really right. right. I was trying to think of a way to sort of compare <laughs> it to New Zealand politics, but I can't. I can't find a Winston Peters in there quite. Uh, but it's, <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's hard to see this one working. Well, was the recent conflict between Israel and Gaza, was that amplified by this climate? Yes. Uh, it was amplified in the sense that Netanyahu saw an opportunity and thought, well, this always works. It, you know, rally around the flag, nationalism, fight the enemy, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, that'll happen in most countries. Um, so it worked for a little bit to the point where people thought, hmm, Netanyahu might get out of this. But it hasn't worked. He's not been, um, and let's make the point again, he has not been able to put together a functioning government four times in a row. Mm. He's not been able to get a, a, a majority four times in a row. So he can't claim any real high ground. And that's why the president said, all right, you other guys, you have a chance at uh, putting it together. And lo and behold, they have. 
um, Naftali Bennett could end up being the Prime Minister and have only six seats in the Parliament. His party would only have six seats and he would be the Prime Minister. That would be like Winston Peters being the Prime Minister. There you go. <laughs> right, so he, he gets to be Prime Minister first, <laughs> followed by Lapid, unless Bennett changes his mind, of course, uh, when he's here. So just finally, uh, very quickly, I think we've got about 40 seconds, when, when will we see this sure. new government formed? I don't know. Because anything can happen, quite frankly. Uh, there was a last gasp sort of legal challenge by Netanyahu that didn't really work. Uh, I mean, this, this could roll out in the next week or so, but I just I cannot put any predictions down on this because that's how Israeli politics works. They could be back at the polls again. You, you never know. That's Al Jazeera's Kamal Santamaria. The government has unlocked half a million dollars to support farmers devastated by the Canterbury floods. Farmers have reporting losing the feed they need to feed their stock over the winter, milk having to be thrown out due to collections being delayed and huge amounts of damage to the infrastructure on their farms. Nathan discussed the impacts of the disaster with Infometrics economist Brad Olson. Hey, so how big an economic hit do you think you know this weather event will uh, prove to be? Yeah, this is going to be a struggle for part of uh, Canterbury region, particularly that mid and south Canterbury area. We know that those transport links have been pretty well battered and, and in many cases severed. Uh, thankfully, there's now a bit more access between uh, in South Canterbury with um, one of the major transport links at least restored to light traffic for a bit and a detour now set up around um, Inland Scenic Route 72 because otherwise it was taking 13 hours to get from uh, the likes of Christchurch to Timaru with some of those uh, logistics and, and freight transports. For the likes of the primary sector, of course, they've been a big part of the COVID recovery. Uh, those are going to be in a harder place with, like say, the feed unavailable with milk unable to get out and about. Um, so there is going to be some, some tough times. I mean, this is quite a severe event. I don't think we actually realise the scale of it just yet. Mm. Um, this has been a, a country that's had natural disasters um, constantly uh, in, in its lifetime. What, what does this latest incident tell us about the resilience um, of how our economy goes? Yeah, we, I think we do need to start thinking more and more about resilience, particularly in our infrastructure. I mean, this is, a, like you say, another weather event, and I know that this has been a big one. But it seems to be that we have uh, some one of these events every, uh, you know, almost few weeks or at least, you know, once a year mm. almost. That is, is quite a big hit to different parts of the um, of, of our transport network or our infrastructure. It batters stuff, and we're paying millions to, to start it up again. And in the meantime, there's all of this, um, you know, lost production and, and, and real struggle. I think we do need to again go back to the drawing board on what we're investing in across the country because to see all of these. Uh, Links broken quite so quickly uh, every time we have a weather event. I think it is um, a, a concern and it does hamper our ability to keep the economy moving. Yeah, and I said the supply chains as well. We've got a lot of stories about Dunedin now being affected, you know, with, for example, supermarkets in Otago and Southland going, we can't get our stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, we're not able to move it out and about. Uh, the rail lines are out. I mean, even the West Coast, for example, lost internet for, for some parts of the Lower West Coast um, the other other day because of one of the uh, one of the fibre cables that was coming over from Canterbury got severed. So you know there are there are sort of interdependencies, if you will. You know links uh, across other parts of of the Lower South Island as well that are dependent on what happens in Canterbury. Um, just a, a real need to uh, think about 
these issues much much quicker. And also, I guess, think about what does that resilience mean. I think we need to both bolster the infrastructure we've got, you know, making sure we've got quality bridges and, and what have you, but also having some of those emergency supplies pre-positioned across different parts of the area so that we sort of do have that stopgap measure uh, to look after different communities until we can reconnect everyone. Uh, finally, Brad, half a million dollars, is, is that going to be enough? No, it will very much just be the start from government. Um, but I think as well, government does need to get a better handle on what uh, exactly is needed and who's best to, to lead that recovery effort. Um, I dare expect that the government will be putting more money in um, across its, its various agencies, but hopefully working very closely with those local authorities and councils on the ground. Uh, they know what their communities need better, in, in a sense, than anyone else, um, and so they'll be needing to lead those recovery efforts. Infometrics economist Brad Olson. Large parts of Canterbury remain cut off from the rest of the country after raging floodwaters tore up highways, left bridges at risk of toppling and tossed tonnes of debris onto roads. Our reporter Ella Stewart has been navigating the muddle of road closures and squelching through sodden paddocks to find out how Cantabrians are coping. My house is actually somewhere in the river over there at the moment. Um, I don't know what the damage is like. We can see the water's been halfway up the walls in it, but yeah. Farm worker Jamie Narston had just half an hour to pack his life into his car when the Ashburton River burst its banks and swamped the property. For the last couple of days, the whole farm has been underwater. To be honest, um, from the looks of it, everything's trashed and totaled. All the huts are caved in, cars are gone. Um, It's just, yeah, all been swept away and gone. Nothing really you can do against water, so... How are you feeling, like, emotionally about it? A bit gutted. I mean, all my stuff's gone by the sounds of it, so, yeah, pretty gutted, but I can't really do anything about it. I got my dog, that was the main thing. What's the clean-up going to be like? Uh, Massive. It's going to be a long time, yeah. I don't think we'll be milking next year or anything like that. It's um, got to... Most of the farm's going to have to be re-sown and re-fenced and everything, so... He's um, not able to hold over as many cows either, so that's next year's season. Um, there's just nothing we can do. Expensive? Yes, very, very expensive. The, um, Mr Narston said they haven't had much in the way of support from authorities. I haven't heard a, heard a thing, actually. Like, apart from one news and you guys, this is about all I, I've seen from any sort of response from anyone. So it's been, um, been a bit weird, yeah, considering you know, we were next farm to a stock bank and no civil defence, nothing's come and seen us or been down the road to have a look. So mm. it's a bit, bit piss poor, really. Um, yeah. Just, yeah, we're, we've had more more from the community and friends and families coming in and saying, oh, you know, we'll come help you. It's like, yep, we've just got to wait for the war to disappear first and then we can get in there. So yeah, get in there and see what's left. Pretty much, yeah. That's um, what it's going to be. And then, yeah, massive, massive clean-up. It'd take a long time, so... Methvin was just about the only place accessible from Ashburton yesterday and the small town, population 1800, was cut off from the rest of the country by water and road closures on all other sides. On the high street, Primo Esecundo Cafe, is a community hub where tired and worried locals can gather to share stories, offer support and drink lots of strong coffee. Here's the owner, Mariah Trengrove. It's a plus when no one is hurt. And how they're not hurt, I don't know. Um, you have to see, I haven't got any videos, but there's one video. Unbelievable. The cafe has a special water system, so is able to serve customers despite the boil water notice. We haven't had this before. Like We've had lots of 
boiled water notices over the years, right? Yeah. But we've never had one that affected schools closing, um, being, not being able to brush your teeth, you just have to boil the water, right? Now we have to, even we can't even use our sanitizer, dishwasher, right? That's why we've put everything takeaways. Timaru farmer William Ralston is unable to get home, so has been hunkering down in Methven. He's heard of other farmers who've been hit really hard by the floods. I haven't been out there, um, but uh, uh, I understand that you know they've had a lot of shingle on their on their properties. They've had dams washed out. Um, there hasn't been too many stock losses, which has been really um, good. You know, if it had snow, we would have had a lot of. Um, stock loss. Methvin residents Murray Hawks and Mark Jacobs were reflecting over a cuppa about the hardship the flood will cause to the region's many farmers. For the farmers it is massive, absolutely massive. Um, you know people have lost their whole river flats, there's paddocks that are washed, there's, there's feed that was there for winter that will be gone, um, notwithstanding all the fence lines that have been wiped out, um, tree lines that have, have gone down the river um, and as Murray touched on the methane water supply is a bit murky at the moment but that's just been compromised because of exactly that the river's gone over the supply um, so we're just drinking some farmers paddocks at the moment. Some of that mess is going to take literally is going to take years and uh, and some of it is is immediate you know where do you put the stock when when the paddock that their feed was in is, is now underwater. So there's, there's going to be short-term and very long-term issues. Some people have, will have lost a massive amount. Retailer and hospitality businesses are also doing it tough. Here's Bud Lister who runs the Stavenley store and cafe to the west of Methven. Currently we're not even sure what the situation is at the store. The owner has managed to make it in just in the last sort of 10 minutes and there's a bit of clean up to do. But yeah, we've got no, no way to open. Not even sure if we can get any stock there. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> to, it's to pretty open. dire? Uh, yeah. That report from Alice Stewart. Nathan then spoke with Federated Farmers Vice President for Mid-Canterbury, David Ackland. Well, we've just been listening to uh, the, the thoughts of uh, a lot of your uh, people that are there. So what's the feedback that you've had on, on how badly uh, the farmers have been affected in the region? Yeah, well, it's, it's a funny one, really. Some, some, some people have been really, really badly affected and others have had just heavy rain. So the guys that are next to the river and, and where it's blowing out, uh, you know, like like myself, we've had like a lot of damage, and then other people are, are all right, and it's just getting the access back up, and and that'll be okay. But for some of us, some people, the, the whole farm's been wiped out. Others, it's partial, partial, you know, inundation, and then there's those that have had water through their houses and that side of things. So it's, it is devastating to a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into possible stock losses and stuff uh, soon there, David. But, you know, for example, for you there, as you say, you look out, you have a look at that water, you're thinking, oh, please don't rise. And then it does, and it goes quite high, and your whole farm's underwater. I mean, like, how, what, what sort of time does it give you to uh, think, okay, well, I, I've got these plans of actions to do, or how long will I even know that I can get out and survey my land? Like, that, that waits to be able to get out and survey your land must be horrible, David. Uh, yeah, it was interesting. Uh, we, we knew it was sort of going to be here for 36 hours and, and the forecast was pretty accurate on that. So it was just how high that water was going to rise and, and where we would be restricted to. So 
we could we had all our stock in pretty there was only one lot that we couldn't get to we knew they were safe but um it was just more effective actually getting some feed over to them because we're in, in the into winter now so we're feeding daily hmm. and and it was more that you know we wanted to get up get to them within two days and and we needed heavy machinery to be able to do that to clear the creek uh, so I imagine there's stock losses for a few farmers around. What about the collection of milk from from dairy farms? Tell us about those disruptions and how you know. What, do you think they will return to normal soon? I th- well, I hear overnight that I think they've got some road access sorted out north and south, so that should be able to start again for the farmers that are still milking. We're, we're, we milk here as we've got a dairy here farm here as well, and we were in the in the stages of drying down, so the, the volume of milk that we were producing daily wasn't wasn't huge so hmm. it could be held on on farm and our vat but um i'm sure there was there are farmers out there who had had issues but hopefully um that shouldn't be too bad we've got livestock going out today by trucks so um that that's good um the, the government said right we'll start you here with a half million dollars to help um affected farmers yesterday it's, I mean, that's not going to be enough in itself. I mean, when we spoke to Brad Olson before from Infometrics, he, he felt it would be like a start. That first half a million dollars, where, where is it most needed to go? Uh, just in supporting the organisations and getting um, the systems up and running so that we can uh, make judgments on how, what feed shortages there are and then we can get support out to those farmers that need it directly. Um, most farmers have got a pretty good handle on, on their feed that they had going into winter. Uh, so now we just need to try and understand what, which farmers have lost feed and how much and what the hole is going to be in that. that. And that, that's going to be the difficult task because some farms have only lost 10 to 15% of their winter feed. But that, if we multiply that up over however many farms have been affected from South Canterbury through to North Canterbury, uh, it, it would be a considerable problem. Mm. Uh, David, I know the Marae uh, around town, they were opening up and letting people in when it was flooded and stuff, and that was a way that they could help. A way that the rest of New Zealand could help you guys, is there something we could do? Um, well, there's, I know those uh, locally there's, um, the, the, the hotline's been set up for um, feed supplies and that side of things, for, um, so farmers can support farmers with feed and also those locals who want to help uh, farmers clean up. There's... Um, Groups being organised, like the farming army and, and those guys, or the student army, I should say, are to come in and help. And that's that's in the sort of early stages of getting set up. And we've got students coming in with the local young farmers club to a number of farms in the hills, uh, foothills here today, which is great. And they're going to move down the plains tomorrow to a couple of other farms. But there's um, a lot of other work to do over the next two or three weeks, just in the initial phases. Yeah. And uh, and it's just the fact that this is going to be a bit of a grind. We're into winter, um, dealing with mud and silt and rubbish over winter is a um, yeah. bit of a rough task. And yeah, so Federated Farmers Vice President for Mid Canterbury, David Acklin. Thanks for listening to the best of First Up, Matewa.